it's maybe not so difficult to get one sensational shot. Something seems really dumb about this, but here we go. You're listening to the One Sensational Shot Network. I'm Fletcher Walton. Welcome to the Evening Glass. Customarily, I manage once a football season to meet up with my long-time pal Tim Anderson for an afternoon and an evening spent setting to rights the worlds of sport, cinema, civil society, science, literature, the legitimate theatre, after which we invariably promise to leave it at least another 11 months and three weeks before doing it again. Current circumstances have made such a summit impossible this year, so why not raise the rascal on the blower, record the conversation, call it a podcast. Enjoy! Joining me this issue is a fella I hoped to involve in OSS last autumn for his perspective on the 2019-20 football season. We didn't get it together in time. Um, here we are in the longest hiatus English football has had since the Second World War. A brother who's been an acquaintance of mine for a long, long, long time. Tim Anderson, welcome to the show. Hello Fletcher, thank you. That's very kind of you to say all those things. And you might know this, Blackpool happened to be top in 1939 and they were t- essentially the longest serving first place side ever because they remained top of the first division having I think three games three wins six points stayed there the entirety of the second world war oh okay (laughs) that sounds feasible I didn't know that do you know if they then and as they are now resumed the season from that point or did they just say you've been champions (laughs) for seven years that would be amazing wouldn't it to think about how how on earth they would not just like negotiate contracts but to think that the uh, nippy whipper snapper winger would now be 25 years old or unfortunately or, possibly dead. Yeah, or missing in action. None of the above. Yeah, yeah. They did Prisoner have really odd war leagues, yeah, that were kind of regional, I think. Basically, people bringing in ringers. I don't I don't really know, but I think that was essentially as a sort of uh, war effort and entertainment thing yeah. as much as anything, I think, yeah. And matey, um, the Manchester City goalkeeper was a prisoner of war that settled here. Uh, Bert Troutman, yeah, the yeah, guy who broke his yeah. neck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to have a couple of claims to fame. So to not just have that unusual genesis of his career in England as a player, but to also be the bloke who broke his neck in a cup final, played on and won it. Because I wondered what kind of resistance he met, uh, not just on the terraces, but just in general life. It must have been hard, because it's all, you know, you look at um, Ardiles and Ricky yeah. Villa getting shipped off for a season because of the Falklands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which you know, inter- which obviously as important to those who served in it and as tragic to those who died in it. However, not having any impact at all really on the British Isles. Yeah. Um, and so it just seems odd, doesn't it? I remember as well um, the dart, is it dartist? Dart player? Uh, throwologist, yeah. Um, I think it's Jockey Wilson, the geezer who didn't have any teeth. Yeah. On Wikipedia, it's listed that the reason he lost his teeth so early is because his Scottish grandmother warned him that the English poisoned the water, so he only ever drank, like, beer and Coke. Oh, OK. And he'd lost his last tooth at the age of 28 or something just risible like that. But um, his wife was Argentinian, and yes. uh, he got a lot of shit for it. He actually got into darts um, by throwing spears over Hadrian's wall. The <laughs> uh, um so, so how the devil are you? I don't want this to be too COVID-focused, but tell us what... First of all, tell me where you're at, and secondly, tell us how it's been where you are, because I'm so London-based anyway and London-centric, and uh, in a lot of ways, nothing much has changed for me. But where are you living, and what's it like out there? Okay, so I live in Lowestoft on the east coast of Suffolk. Um, it's quite a small town, I guess, maybe 80,000 people, so not that small, but, you know, relatively speaking. 
Um, it's been very strange. It's not a very busy, it's quite a rundown town anyway. It had a big fishing industry, which, so obviously there's none of that left. There's not really a lot here. I think there's, there's, other than supermarkets, um, there's no real big employer in the town that would keep people working. We don't have any hospitals. Um, so, yeah, it's been very quiet. The, the town centre itself, extremely quiet. We don't, there's, there's no supermarkets in the town centre. So there's maybe two shops in the whole high street that have been opened that I can think of off the top of my head, maybe three. Um, so incredibly quiet, um, really odd. Um, and strange because 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 of where we live, we have a beach. And so that is a good place for people who don't have a lot of money, which there are a lot of here, to go because it's a cheap, it's a free resource other than, you know, some chips and an ice cream for your kids. It's free. And even yeah. on a cold day, it's somewhere to go for a walk or, you know, you can you can do what you want down there. And that's been taken away from people. So I think it has been difficult. Um, it's, I, I've stayed myself. I've been in work the whole time. Um, I'm a civil servant. I won't tell you which department, but I'm a civil servant. I've kept working. Um, so, yeah, it has been. It's been strange, really. It's, it's It's been a weird mixture, I think, of quite nice to be able to hear the birds when I walk to work um and quite a shame to just not feel like there's anybody about hmm. it's, it's quite a wordy answer to your question you walk to work <laughs> how, how many minutes walk is that probably about 25 on the way there and i don't know 30 on the way home i suppose why the differential on the way uh, home oh well as you know i'm a grafter so i'm a bit more tired after a day's work <laughs> that, that'll be it yeah <laughs> yeah 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 so. And yeah, it's a nice wide beach, so you're quite often, even sort of early summer or late summer, um, probably as, yeah, in spring you might see a game of rounders or something going on down there. People have beach huts, you know, so they would use that as a facility all year round, really, as a base. So yeah, you know, it's and it's just difficult because, um, you know, just even without the park run, I guess people will go for a run in groups. That's kind of been yeah. taken away. Um, as as we stand, it seems like that might be ending. But yeah, that's been taken away from people. So yeah, it's just been it's been strange, really. Yeah. Did you say rounders? Yeah. I bloody love rounders. They play that there. Well, yeah. The first time we really met was a game of rounders, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I won a bottle of champagne, or was awarded, I suppose, a bottle yeah, of champagne. Yeah, you did, and I decided that I didn't like you because of that. <laughs> um. It, it... How so? What? Because I was successful and achieved. Yeah, I, I think that's <laughs> that's accurate. Yeah, I bloody like. Yeah, you, you're right. Actually, it was um was that like our third day on the call centre floor? Yeah, that's right. And there was like a sort of I think it was a semi regular thing that they got people together, and yeah. so you know we would sort of we went along as as you would, and um it was quite it was good fun actually, wasn't it? And, I really um, enjoyed it. The problem I have with sporting endeavour is that I do take things. It's the same problem I have with karaoke. I take it seriously because I can't. I can't like when I'm singing a song in front of people. I want to give my all. I want to represent yeah. myself well. Mm -hmm. And if I, I don't take satisfaction from it unless I'm singing a little respect by Erasure properly. Yeah. Or what's another one I can do? I can do Man on the Moon by REM and it's the same with the rounders you know like if I'm there yeah I'm mm. going to try and catch it and I'm going to lob it to the next person and if they can't catch it themselves I can't really adjust my level of play to suit the inadequacies of others yeah I mean I've always been blessed with 
uh, I've always been, I think, most sports towards the inadequate end of the spectrum. So, <laughs> so that's fine with me. If I can manage to sort of raise it for a little while, then, <laughs> then you know, then that's okay. But yes, in terms of the intensity, that is something we certainly have in common. It's it's difficult, isn't it? It's that sort of Glenn Hoddle telling David Beckham that maybe he's not quite good enough to do certain skills when he was England manager. You know, it's a difficult one, isn't it? This is what Huddle said. Yeah, during the build-up to uh, the World Cup in 98, they were trying some sort of set piece. It wasn't a kind of like a direct shot at goal. And they kept yeah. trying it and it just couldn't come off. So obviously, as as was his one, Huddle had a go, pulled it off first time and then said to Beckham, maybe you're just not good enough for that skill. That's precisely what I heard about Hoddle. He, uh, in some ways, he was lacking as a coach because he could do everything. He couldn't necessarily describe how to do everything because it was so innate with him. He was, yeah, I don't think he, a very I talented don't, player. Yeah, I don't think he's the first uh, sort of player to go into coaching that has found it difficult because the players he's coaching aren't at his standard. Hmm. Uh, I wondered that about like Wilkins and Ince as well in terms of England players. Tony Adams. On the face of it, you'd think good organiser, yeah. but never happened for him. And it's probably because he spent a career at a big club with good players and good coaching. So how do you adapt that? That's sh- one reason why I can't hack being told about football by one club men. Now, I, res- I have a level, a, a different level of respect for people like Neville uh, and Scholes, and Gerrard, who stay in one place their entire careers. Mm-hmm. That gives them an insight. Right, and in in the case of someone like Neville, clearly he's asked around and has a, a great enthusiasm and interest in football, and he's from such a sporting family anyway. Yeah. Um, but they can't provide much insight on transfers, even for instance. I mean, Paul Scholes' agent, what did he do? He was never really yeah. necessarily looking around for a move. Yeah, and I I, I would always imagine that the players were kind of sort of scared into accepting whatever their next deal was by Sir Alex Ferguson, you would think. I can't imagine he would have took to agents turfing up to contract mm. talks, would you? Can, did, did, don't you think? They probably they were just told, this is what you're getting. Take it or leave it. And they're probably too scared to say anything, but... I reckon so, yeah, because he... I mean, when he came into United, it was still at least 10 years before the birth of the super agent, Eric Hallstyle. You remember that guy? He's a monster, that yep. guy. When agents became personalities themselves... Yeah, that was around the mid '90s, and Ferguson's legend had already been secured. Yeah, and I suppose I think yeah, a good... you can't really yeah you can't really fuck so... with them after that, can you? No, sorry to speak of you. I think a good example would possibly be maybe Lee Sharp. He was there at the sharp end of it, pun intended. Had a couple of years of success, and obviously Beckham came along, and he wasn't going to get in the team above Beckham or Giggs. But I can imagine he probably had an agent who probably thought, "Hang on, we can get a good, you know, we can get some money here." Whereas yeah. if he hadn't have had that and had stayed, probably would have still played plenty of games as a sort of fringe player. Still had his best years ahead of him, I would have said. Like like McClare played as a fringe player for a long time. Yeah, he you know he changed where he played as well, didn't he? He went from being a forward to playing in midfield, and yeah. Yeah, then so. playing left back on the bench. Lee Sharp was my favourite Manchester United player at the time. I think he was the first player to really embrace a celebration. In England. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> well, he used to sort of, um, you know, he'd sort of sidle up to the corner flag and do a sort of um, semi-Elvis impression using it yeah. as a microphone and that sort of thing. I think he, I, I don't, I can't think of anyone before that doing anything particularly artistic. I'm fascinated by the evolution of the celebration because 
it makes me think of you know Stevenson's rocket and a contemporary accounts held that man shouldn't travel as faster than a horse. Yeah. And the suspicion was, well, I, I don't know, if you go 30 miles an hour, your head's going to straight up explode. Yeah, your insides We can't be certain. Out. Yeah, and it, <laughs> and it feels like it's the same with celebrations. There doesn't seem to be... There's no level of fitness uh, that, that wasn't attained in the 50s, 60s and 70s, which meant that you couldn't do anything fancy with a celebration. But you look at those images and uh, the old footage, they just do run and jump. I was just watching... Um, I had the last 15 minutes of a programme about Forrest when they won the European Cup, mm-hmm. and they're, they're sort of milling about for a celebration. I'd say that's a bad example, purely because can you imagine Brian Clough <laughs> yeah. entertaining a celebration? He, um, Not to disparage the bloke, mm-hmm. there's very few people, very few English footballers and managers for whom I have greater respect than Clough, but he did let himself down with the way he treated fashion, actually. I wasn't happy very, about that. No, very much so. Very much so. I think... And I'll mention that because Tim is a Norwich fan and uh, Fashionu was just thrilling for Norwich, wasn't he, back in yeah, the day? Yeah, a couple of years before my time, really. Maybe three or four years before my time. But yes, in hindsight, absolutely. Um, yeah, he did. Definitely Brian Clough did let himself down. There's no excuses for it. I think it was very much of its time. But... Mm. but I don't think it had to be quite as pronounced and um, vocal as it was. I don't think it was, you know, I don't think he made any secret of how he felt about it. Mm. It is it is very, yeah, it is a shame. And it's it's weird because I don't know how much you've looked into Brian Clough. I have a bit. I've read a couple of books. Um, politically, he's exactly where you'd want him to be. He used to go on, yeah. you'd go on marches for the miners. Obviously, Nottinghamshire had a lot of mines. So he used to support that. He was generally quite good to people who didn't have a lot of money around the club. You know, he'd if he was outside the ground on a non-match day and, you know, someone was milling about who didn't look like they could afford a ticket, he'd give them a few quid so they could buy a ticket, that sort of thing, which is great. However, mm. that, 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 that is not as well known as the way he treated Justin Fashion. There's no two ways about it. What do we need to ring back to? So <laughs> um, We were talking about uh, how... Um, how Lowestoft, how my hometown and how I have been affected by the lockdown. So tell me about, you manage a football team. I do. Take us through the admin in the middle of March as COVID progressed and then the lockdown came in. I manage a veterans football team, so over 35s. We take it very seriously and most of the teams we play do. It's very organised. It's not, you know, it's all affiliated with the FA and everything else. Um it was difficult, actually, because we. this is our second season of playing. Um, last season, we uh, we won the league that we were in. We won every game apart from the last game, which we drew. We got to one cup final, which we lost on penalties, and we got to the semi-finals of the other cup competition, uh, which we lost. Um, and then this season, we carried that on. We, I, we, I think we had maybe three, four games left. We'd won every game we've played this season. You know, sort of conceded one goal in the league. Um, so All think, season. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you got Have you got any ex pros and semi pros on your side? Then? I have. We have one player who still plays semi pro um, at a reasonable level. At uh, in the, uh, I guess he'd be. I can't offhand. I can't think which division it is he's in, but um, but he get you know he gets paid to play. On, a, on yeah. the weekend, he plays for us. Other than that, we know we have no ex-pros. We do have a very good team. There's no two ways about it. Um, but it, yeah, anyway, so to, to come to my point, we, we were at the point where we just needed to 
basically get one point from our last four games to win the league. Uh, and, and more importantly to us, to win promotion. Because basically there's there's three divisions. We won the first one, we win the second one, we want to play and hopefully win the third one, and then we'll stop. That's fine. It's like a three-year plan. <laughs> and yeah, and so um and so basically we stopped playing and then the league just out of the blue suddenly said, Okay, so we're stopping the league. There's no promotion or relegation. And so for us, the trouble with that is we're gonna to have to play the same teams again that we've been beating every week, which is not really that fun. It's nice to win, but you want a bit mm. you want a bit of a game. And it ain't fun for them either. No, they don't want to play us again. And so we sort of contact contacted the league and have asked them if, you know, can we can it not can we not have a promotion? Can we, you know, we're not worried about a trophy or anything like that, but this is what we want. Uh, they've not really got back to us on that, but we're now at the point where they're asking us to financially commit to next season. So we're not yeah. really sure what to do. Um, I think we'll probably play again, but it's a bit frustrating. But, and that financial commitment, what is that per man and for the club? For the club, for us to start, before a ball's kicked, we have to give, we have to pay 300 quid, which isn't a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it's the same as it was last year. So even though we didn't complete the season last year, they haven't given us a reduction on this year. Yeah. Um, I should temper all this by saying that the league itself, whilst we're affiliated with with the FAs, and I don't think the league itself, I don't think the people who work on that are paid. I don't know, but I don't think so. Right. So, you know, there's no criticism of them in terms of uh, maybe a, a lack of communication, because if it's not their job, and you know they've got other things to worry about. Everyone has, so yeah, just yeah. want just want to be clear on that. But yeah, it's so yeah. So before a ball's kick, we have to give them three hundred quid. Um, probably we've got a couple of. This sounds ridiculous, but we have a couple of sponsors circling who are prepared to buy us yeah. a new kit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we wouldn't, you know, we can't really commit to that because if you know it's difficult because what if we decide we're not going to play? They've bought a kit that they don't need, and so it's just a bit, yeah. you know, it's just a bit tricky. Um. I think we'll play, but I don't know. Um, yeah, so it's just a little frustrating, really, to, to you know, just, just I, I guess this will probably bring us quite nicely onto the professional game, but just for them to completely stop it hmm. and not award anything, so it's as if this season hasn't happened, that's just a bit weird to me, I must admit. So you're in the same position as the team that were leading the Dutch second division, Cambor. And I was I was pleased, at least, um, from what I read of their predicament, they've been in the top division a few times, you know. It's not as if they've uh, never had it themselves. They were only four clear of the Grafschap in second, but 11 clear of third. So automatic promotion was nailed on. Um, and like with Liverpool, it had been a fait accompli for weeks and months. The Dutch league was one of the first to call time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very early. I think premature. I mean, it's at their own discretion, isn't it? I, I really don't know the finances of Dutch and Belgian football. Um, but it did seem, from our perspective, it seemed premature. Knowing that, because I, I mean, I know the Dutch league isn't in what, like in the four or five, maybe even the six biggest leagues in Europe. But I think we still consider them to be a legit league more than... Uh, even like the Polish league or anything east of that, definitely. Yeah, they've they've got a couple of big teams that make it relatively it seem relatively glamorous. I guess is a good way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But they, again, we're talking about like twenty five years ago was their heyday when Ajax were conquering Europe and playing. Well, so yeah. who was it? Like the De Boers and Cliver. Yeah, yeah. Nine, um, nine, ninety four. I think that might have been ninety four or ninety five that they won the 
European Cup, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, 25 years ago. At Fulham under Martin Yole, we ended up with a surprising number of Ajax players in the side. Johnny Heitinger, who we bought from Everton, Erby Emanuelson, Zedanak Grigera, and Martin Stekalenberg, the goalkeeper who eventually ended up at Everton. None of those, of course, were in the the Champions League winning side, but uh, they'd won various championships with Ajax in the... Um, Early part of the century. Van der Sar, he was at no, Fulham. had him before, obviously. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I he mean, was he was yeah, in that team, tremendous. though, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah, he was in the the classic Ajax side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, um, yeah, so, I, I so, think I think the team who won three back to back European Cups in the seventies may bulk slightly at you calling them <laughs> ninety four, ninety five. Right, yeah. yeah, but yes, they were. Yeah, in my lifetime, in your lifetime, certainly. Mm. Yeah. What's your perspective on how football restarts in this country? As we speak, they've made a decision on the Premier League today, haven't they? Are you aware of this? No, I wasn't. Yes, so they're, Go ahead. they're starting again on the 17th of June. So, right. yeah, so what? that's what, three weeks from now, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, three weeks from now. Um, they said what's happening with the Championship? No, not yet, no. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, I think, I think my, my, I think my issue is that I personally think they should have just finished it. Um, awarded, you know, the places are what they are, and that's it. Now, obviously, I speak as a Norwich fan. We're bottom of the Premier League. We'd be relegated. Um, however, we haven't been good enough over the course of a season, and I, I just personally think the right thing to do would just be write it off, draw a line under it, and so that we're ready to start again next year, rather than create a knock-on effect, which is weird because I don't really care about the England team. Um, mm. I like a World Cup and I get right into it, but I don't really care about the England team. I'd rather Norwich win the FA Cup than England win the World Cup. And I just think what they're what we're doing here is so there's going to be a backlog of this season, so things are finishing late because it should be the Cup final on Saturday. That's going to be backlogged, so we finish in late. We've got the Euros next summer, so we can't run late next summer. So they're going to have to squeeze a shorter pre-season in, I presume. And then off the back of the Euros next summer, you've got the World Cup the following summer. So in terms of how are we preparing, and uh, uh, you know, it's not a golden age, but you know, as good an England side as we've had in our lifetime in terms of achievement, wouldn't you say? No, we're not doing all we can to prepare them in a way that you think, let's say, other nations would, wouldn't you think? Oh, that's interesting. Right. So in this situation, then. To an extent, the Dutch league have done themselves in their uh, their federation relative favours yeah. by preserving their players. Yeah, yeah because, the, point. because their players aren't going to get a summer off next summer, assuming, I don't know if they were qualified for the Euros, but let's say they had. They're, that summer off next summer is gone because they'll be at the Euros. And then so they've been, essentially they've got 24 months of football, really. Yeah. It just seems odd to me, you know? Whereas with us, if we start now, we've got it's just going to go all the way. It's just it's just solid. It's just a solid mass of football, and you can't if you've got if if let's say Gareth Southgate had a twenty-three man squad in his head right now for for that, you can't expect them to go through that solid amount of football without a gap, without someone sustaining a serious injury. I would think. I don't know statistically mm. how that sort of stacks up, but that's what I think. But, it, I mean, it is attritional, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, 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 as I say, I think they should have stopped the Premier League. They're starting it up again. I think they're doing it as a rush job. And one bit of good news out of it is, is that the BBC are going to have some 
uh, free-to-air Premier League football, which appeals wow. to me. For the first time, yeah. first time since 1988 that the BBC have showed a live game of league Premier League football, top-flight football. What, since the Arsenal-Liverpool match? Um, well, that was on ITV because oh, of Brian ITV, Moore. Right. But yeah, that... that this, the year well, before that, yeah, yeah, 1988, the season before that was the last time the BBC had live. It just seems crazy to me that they haven't had live league football since then. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a good thing. You know, I think I think it's going to give an opportunity for a lot more people to see games who don't get to see them all the time. But it's not the same mm. as going to games, is it? I think my match was the first that was uh, suspended, postponed. Fulham-Brentford on a Friday. Okay. Um, that was in the same week that uh, Liverpool played Atletico. The benefit of hindsight isn't required to suggest that maybe that shouldn't have gone ahead because Spain and Italy's situations were already very serious at that point. You've reminded me of a point that I wanted to speak to you about. So Brentford, one of the best yeah. best places to go and watch football, I think, because it's just fun, isn't it, Brent- at Brentford? I'm not sure if yeah. that game would have been at Brentford, but even so. But they're moving to a new stadium this summer. Yeah. So essentially, if there are no, if the championship just gets cancelled, they don't get to have that goodbye to the stadium, which is quite, yeah. which is always important for fans, especially fans who've been going for a long time. It's a big part of your life, isn't it? If, if I suddenly said to you now, you can't go to the cottage anymore, and you don't even get your chance to say goodbye to it, you wouldn't like that, would you? No, I wouldn't. And I've, we've often wondered whether we'd. Um... I go with my dad and my two uncles, mm-hmm. and at different periods we've had. Uh... One of my uncle's daughters has come with us for probably a 15-year run, and another uncle's kid comes with us uh, still sporadically, like two or three times a season. Um, but at the ages we're at, I'm in my, charitably, I'm in my mid-30s, mm-hmm. and they're in their uh, early 50s and mid-60s. You know, we're not uh, thrusting young Turks any longer. If we left the cottage, I don't know if we'd bother. And if we weren't bothering, I don't know if I'd bother. I, I just don't know. I don't want that to ever be a question. Um, because so much of, I, I, and if you'd asked me 20 years ago or 10 years ago, I wouldn't have said that a stadium was so important, Mm. but seeing what's happened with West Ham, for instance, and knowing that so much of what I enjoy of the match day, it's not about the atmosphere at the cottage, as you well know, there ain't no atmosphere, but (laughs) our, um, the idiosyncrasies of Fulham are tied up in that relatively uh, eccentric stadium that we have, which is still on the Thames, despite the you know the development value of the the land it's on would be astonishing. And it's I thought you know for a long time I thought it was presumably the uh, the only stadium with a house in it, but that's not unique. But it is the only football ground in the league with a, with a tree in it. So that's even odder. It's very rare that there's a, a particularly uh, volatile, vociferous atmosphere at the cottage. But you know that it's a really pleasant place to go and a place to walk to through Bishop's Park. Yeah, I mean, as as a Norwich fan, generally speaking, my experiences going to games there, which have involved you, the game has been the worst part of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, but everything surrounding it is is yeah, yeah pretty pleasant. Yeah. I've been thinking about Brentford too because I know that in practice they will have a final. They will in all likelihood have one last home game because they'll be in the playoffs. They're fourth and they'll play fifth. But um, I've been thinking about them in as much as they had no idea that what their last home game was mm. was their last ho- was possibly their last home game ever. Um, and I feel for them. 
because I, I don't hold any animosity towards Brentford. I went to Brentford-Fulham, our away match, a few months ago, and we got beat 1-0. Um, disappointing. But, you know, they'll have... The, the Brentford fans will have somewhat scheduled... It's the last time they'll play that side at Griffin Park. And Griffin Park itself, it needs to be understood in conversation. Griffin Park has been a part of the topography of London for about 115 years. It's older than almost anyone currently living on the planet. It's not just a, a place that football's played at. I mean, even if even if it's not the last game that people have missed, they may have missed their last game. So somebody who may not have been here for the last month of the season had a game checked out in their diary, this will be the last time that I'm going to Griffin Park. That's yeah. been taken away. So it's not just the, the Brentford fans as a collective. It's all these little individual stories as well that I find quite sad. Um, yeah. Because, you know, you get these old boys who've been going for 50, 60 years and it's a big, big part of their life, isn't it? And I just, yeah, yeah I just think it's a shame. I just think it's a shame they, they've been robbed of that. So hopefully, if the Premier League are playing, I don't see why the Championship wouldn't. I think League Two's already finished, isn't it? Yeah, League's two and one. and then No, League One isn't, the... isn't over yet. Oh, Definitely, huh. definitely not. I know this because I have a, a a ongoing each season bet with my friend who supports Coventry City. Um, yeah. Sort of, you know, where Norwich will finish versus where Coventry will sit, finish with a little bit of handicapping. Um, yeah. And yes, and that's outstanding this season. So I, I can tell you League One definitely hasn't finished. You must have emerged a rich man most seasons no. since you started that. No, I think this is season four. I think I think I'm... 2-1 down in terms of, I think he's, yeah, I think I'm 2-1 down in terms of Coventry have finished. So Coventry finished above, the let's say Coventry finished fifth in League Two and Norwich finished sixth in the Championship. That's a Coventry. Oh, as, that's, oh. However, it is handicapped this season because they're in League One and we're in the Premier League. So, for example, this season's bet is that I... Um, and obviously, you know, you shouldn't bet if you can't do it and keep it fun and all those things. Um, yeah. But my the bet is this year that I said that I thought Norwich would finish above four, 14th or above. And yeah. that was bet against Coventry winning promotion in from League One to the Championship. So at the moment, we're neither of us winning because obviously they haven't won promotion and we haven't been relegated. So, yeah. you know, we haven't finished anywhere as it stands so yeah it's just going to be yeah so yes anyway but league one hasn't finished yet i guess when you mentioned that bet i would have thought that it would be a, a flat out who finishes higher in the league pyramid in which case you're always ahead of coventry yeah, aren't you? apart yeah. from like one season 12 years ago maybe oh when was it that you were in the third tier we were in the third tier 2000 and uh, either 2006 7 or 7 8 i can't remember which yeah i think 7 8 maybe um, is that the season you lost 5-0 on the opening day at Colchester and then you took their manager? Oh, that's, that, well, 7-1, but yeah. <laughs> that's chronic. Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah, is it Lambert? Yeah, Lambert was the Colchester yeah. manager. It's good. The best thing about it is that there's a couple of fans who ran across the pitch through their season tickets at Brian yes. Gunn, then <laughs> promptly got banned for the next five years whilst we ran. We won promotion and then stayed in the Premier League. For, we won through two promotions. And spent three, yeah. three, three seasons in the Premier League, I think. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's always a, a kind of, um, uh, what's the term? Is it each way bet? 
Yeah. Which match in the season will be the first in which a Sunderland fan or a Newcastle fan yeah. uh, heads down to the dugout and remonstrates? And what I think is, if there is a, um, if there is a, a football innovation which is to be discouraged, it's having your season ticket on the little credit card, which is how I've got it now. Yeah. Because without a paper, a, 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 a wad of paper as your season ticket, it's rather less um, dramatic yeah. to just take out what looks like your Tesco club card, throw that on the pitch, and then realise, oh, fuck, I need that for next season, because they just put it... Because that's what they did with yeah. before they just reloaded yeah. season however, to season to season. However, <laughs> that said, it probably cost you a tenner to get a replacement. That's the other thing. Yeah, it, it felt, does. It, <laughs> ripping up your tickets is quite final, I guess, in terms of an yeah. admin point of view. But, yeah, you know, basically all you're doing is losing your season ticket <laughs> and then ringing up and getting a new one. Right, moving on from the old football, what positives have you drawn from our current predicament? I, I guess, as I would say, things like we have a little girl at home, we've introduced her to things like playing Uno, which is quite nice because we generally have a TV on in the house because most yeah. people with children do. And so just to play Uno for a couple of hours and not have a TV on is quite nice. You know, she it's nice to see her develop a, a sort of, a uh, competitive streak. Um, you know, we'll we'll build Lego and all the things that we probably don't do enough because it's not as flashy as the Dis- as Disney Plus or yeah. you know. Um, so it's nice to do little things like that. It's nice to it's nice to we we you know we'll we'll go for a walk as the three of us will go for a walk on a Saturday morning and we'll walk maybe you know somewhere between five and ten miles, quite a long way. We'll walk, and it's nice to there not be loads of cars about loads of cars on the road it's nice to be able to hear the birds sing as i said earlier i guess another positive is i did touch on it earlier i've started a diet i'm not very far in but it made me it's made me realize you know i guess just sort of spending time not doing as much made me realize how little i do so i'm going to start exercising again when i can just come around to it another story um but yeah so i've been dieting trying to be a little bit more healthy i guess that's quite a positive um yeah, and I think even it's made me realise that I made me realise that I quite like my job because I was thinking about you know my first thought when people were getting uh, not for the people who have been financially affected by this it's awful there's no two ways about it but for people that I work with so some people got sent home on full pay not furloughed full pay because they had an underlying health condition and my first impulse was oh you know lucky bastards they get to sit at home. I, I mean, uh, however, it's made me realise, actually, I quite like going to work and I wouldn't like the structure of not going to work. I haven't minded being at work at all. And I'm not no longer jealous of the, the people who are staying at home on full pay. I felt a little bit like that with football because it was only when it was removed from us that I realised that we'd spent eight or nine months bitching weekly about a side that was third, four points clear, and if we played that Brentford match and won it, we'd have been seven clear. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good season. Yeah. It's just that a game by game, we'd watched a lot of six out of ten, seven out of ten performances by a side that's capable, honestly capable of blistering football. Um, and we were winning, and 
not grinding out results, not winning comfortably either, just that very, very few of these victories were emphatic. But once it's gone, it segmented the, the days, the weeks, the months. Yeah, it's a big part of it's a big part of your weekend. There's no two ways about it. There's something that I wanted to mention to you actually, I play video games reasonably regularly anyway. I, I think gamers, sorry, gamers, there's an argument that they are ahead of the curve socially in preparation for the apocalypse. Because we've yeah. all had to stay yeah. at home and sort of do nothing, which is what a gamer does anyway. And I yeah. and I, the only reason I play video games is because I can talk to my friends while I play or and I can you know I can play FIFA against my friend let's say and yeah. and I can beat him or I can play a game mm. where I can shoot him and it's, you know that's and, and I can talk to him yeah. while I can gloat while I do it so that's why I do it and so I think it's it's weird isn't it because there is a perception of that you're a bit of a loner if you do it but ac- yeah. actually now, with the hindsight of people not being able to go out and do anything, it goes to show that you're not. Because now everybody seems to be taking the most sort of mundane of things on the face of it and, you know, making sure that they film themselves doing it and, and link to others with like a Zoom call. <laughs> Good luck to the people. I mean, a lot of my close friends have done it and they seem to enjoy it. And I, as you know, I'm not a fan of organised fun anyway. But it just seems like it. It just seems a bit... Like trying too hard for me. You are that you're a strong proponent of improvisational fun. Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah, you're Johnny on the spot with that. I'd say I am the Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. I am Bill Cosby and all his sort of Cosby Show jazz relatives of yeah, of yeah. <laughs> of fun. As, you know, as long as I can sort of make it up as I go, I'm very. I like to think yeah. I'm very fun, but I don't like to be told in what way I'm going to have fun. That makes sense. Yeah. So, like, uh, fancy dress at Halloween. What about that? Again, I have a child, so it happens. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but not for the sake of it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't dress up just so that when the trick or treaters come round, I'm dressed up. That seems weird. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, that just seems alien to me. But yeah. if if we were going trick or treating with Emmy. I probably still wouldn't dress up. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I just, yeah, I don't know. I just, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's like that old adage that the best nights out are the ones you don't plan, you know? Yeah. So let's just, you know, get together and see what happens and not have any plans to do it and put your fucking phone down while we do it. The the, the fact that everything has to be sort of, you know, we'll, we'll meet online at eight o'clock and it'll be great fun. Just doesn't, you know, <laughs> it, it doesn't work for me. And at eight fifty-five, we'll have had enough fun, so we'll leave it there mm. for the night. Um, yeah. <laughs> on sort of on this subject, I wanted to ask you how you feel about um, the sort of celebrities in their mansions recording themselves. I guess the main <laughs> the main one would be uh, Gal Gadot and her friends yeah. singing "Imagine." How did that make you feel inside? <laughs> you shan't be surprised to hear that I found it very easy to give. All of that business, a very wide berth. Uh, first three weeks were decent for memes. I'll detour slightly. What I couldn't empathise with was a deluge in the first month of journalists writing articles about what an anxiety-inducing time it is, how their children were petrified, however could they explain this to their children, how they were worried 
checking their phones for updates hourly, watching 24-hour rolling news. I think that I think that should be and must be confined to the media bubble because there isn't any need to interact with any of this at that level. This is a perfect opportunity to turn off the telly because there's nothing going on. I used to joke about this as a subtitler because every day was Brexit for the last three years and so every day the breaking news was no news because there weren't any news and I used to joke that I was waking up praying for a volcano or an earthquake or a couple of decent typhoons just for something proper to report upon, um, something legitimate where something was actually happening and then finally we were all of us globally subject to uh, an unprecedented news event one which was characterised by nothing happening, is the fucking irony of this entire situation. Uh, and I think parents have a responsibility to essentially insulate their children from um, from some of this because it doesn't have to be an anxiety-inducing experience and it doesn't, doesn't have to be something where you give your kids a complex and neuroses about leaving the house in a couple of weeks' time. Kids are anti-fragile. They're as resilient as their parents allow them to develop to be. Next question, I would be very surprised if you were in favour of the Thursday night applause. I'm sat in my dining room looking out the window and I I, I looked, I did look at eight o'clock um, to see if anyone came out. I'm on quite a pro-clapping street, yeah, w- yeah. which is part of quite a pro-clapping estate, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not for me. <laughs> Again, it's it's yeah. weird. I, I don't I don't want to be one of these people who keeps running on about children. But it's great fun for Emmy. She likes to do it. Because yeah. why wouldn't she? Because as much as anything, it's an excuse to go to bed a bit later. Yeah. So oh, cool. Sure. Yeah. So she likes to do it. Um I should say Emmy's my stepdaughter. She's usually at her dad's on a Thursday night, so that's fine, because that doesn't affect me at all. <laughs> yeah, so we had to we, we had to do it last Thursday. She was like, yeah. Come on, let's go and do the clap. And then it was two minutes to eight. She went, we've got to go get ready. And I was like, Emmy, the front door's there. We don't have to go get ready. Yeah, yeah. We'll go out. And then so we went to the door and sort of Carly and I stayed sort of in the threshold. Come on, we've got to go to the, the end of the front garden. I was like, oh, have we? And so, yeah, so, you know, so she enjoys it. It's fun. But it's, yeah, yeah. I, I just, again, it's, it as a one-off thing, it's quite a nice gesture, actually. I'm all for it, you know. Well done. Yeah. But it doesn't mean anything once you're told to do it, does it? Yeah, I agree. And uh, I'll draw another football analogy because it reminded me immediately of um, Fulham's Europa League run, semi-final at the Cottage, 20 minutes in, Hamburg's Mladen Petric, who later transferred to Fulham, puts them ahead with an astonishing free kick, about 30 yards. Mm-hmm. Um And we were chasing the game from then. Now, I re-watched it when uh, we, uh, the Fulham website did a live stream of the entire match and I'd forgotten just how tight it was, how few chances there were, but what an even match it was and how once we conceded, we did look very good for a long time, but it was in about the 65th minute that with relative spontaneity, the chant went up of stand up if you still believe. And I was there for it and we did it. We all went for it. And it was, it was that it, uh, it meant something in that moment Mm -hmm. And only once, and only in that moment. A couple of minutes later, we sc- we got the equaliser through Simon Davies. And then six or seven minutes after that, Zoltan Guerra gave us the winner. Then we hung on for another 15-ish minutes. 
Now, I've been at the cottage subsequently where, understandably, but uh, completely inappropriately, that cry's gone up again. And you think, what? We're 2-0 down against West Ham in the league. Chill out. It don't, don't make it less special. Yeah. That one time, it was beautiful. Yeah. And maybe it comes back if we reach another semi-final. Yeah, of course. Was, was your turn tear the arse out of it? No, rip the arse out of it. You're ripping the arse rip out Rip the arse out of it. Yeah. At the, at the call centre, your innovation was... M&M's with Skittles, put them together. And you'd, you'd buy a, a pack of each, sort of put them in the middle. And quite rightly, you brought to my attention that I was ripping the arse out of it. I was probably having more than my fair share. I was a greedy guts. Um, but yeah, this, it's, it's, the exact, it's the same principle. And there's no need to make um, like obvious and trite political points about it. But it was good once and maybe a second time. Yeah, um, I would say I probably spent a week in advance pointing out to people what a greedy fucker you were before I then told you. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I am, this is... Uh, oh, you, I'm the same, I'm the same. You're welcome to say what you always say about my physique, which I always find funny. Oh, do I say you're built like a gypsy's dog? That's exactly what you say, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm relatively slim for a man in his 30s, but I am greedy, and that's why I can't have the stuff around the house, yeah. because, and particularly when it's free, I am... Um... Hold on a second, hold on. I was taking my sweater off. You'd like it as well. It's not the classic Wilson hoodie. No. Very tasty grey and white number with a, a blue flash across the shoulder. Puma. Must be 32 years old. I would, yeah, I would enjoy that, yeah. Um, what have you been watching? Have you found anything to watch? What have you got back into? Yeah. Um, so, well, I, I watched Tiger King, as a lot of people did. Right. Um, and enjoyed it for what it was. I... I'm, I it, um, one of my many character flaws is that if I got in on something on the ground floor and feel yeah. like I watched it first, I then get annoyed. I, I know a lot of people feel like they, if they've got like a band that they're into, and then when that band becomes popular, they feel like they don't really want to like them so much anymore. Um, yeah, I felt like this a bit with Tiger King, in that I, I recommended it to everybody because I couldn't believe just how insane it was. And how you know, yeah. and how fun it is. Um, and then once everyone started watching it, and then you see sort of memes and stuff, and you know, yeah, I'm less less excited about it. But I really enjoyed that. I thought it was great. You, you know, you, if you if it were a film script, you probably wouldn't have had any of it. But there there were just a <laughs> lot of fun characters in there. Um, yeah. And there was a guy in there who really incredibly reminded me of Boomhauer from um, <laughs> God from King of the Hill. Yeah. And, and so I enjoyed that. So that was good fun. I liked I liked watching that. Um, I've actually a show that I, funnily enough, I listened to um, I listened to one of your podcasts the other day, and you were talking about Community. I had never even heard of Community pre lockdown. It just not passed my radar at all. I don't know if that makes any any radar fans might correct me on that. <laughs> but yeah, so I've been watching that, which and I think that's really good. That's really good fun. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I have a couple of problems with it, but I think generally speaking, I think it's really good fun. And, and so I've been watching that. And again, and I, I remember thinking, oh, I bet Fletcher'd like this. And then you mentioned it on the podcast. And I was like, oh, bloody Fletch. Can't give me, can't give me anything. So, yeah, so I've been sort of slowly not binge watching it. Um, in our household, it tends to be that I'm awake for a couple of hours longer than Carly. And yeah. so, but, but we'll be in bed. And so I'll put things on to watch whilst she's asleep. 
and they tend to be things that I know she wouldn't really enjoy. So it'll be, a, you know, some sort of war documentary or something. And so yeah. com- community, because they're kind of, I guess, about 25 minutes, that's quite a nice sized program, like a bite sized program to watch before I go to sleep. So I'm not powering through that, but I have been watching that and I like that. Um, I've started watching Prison Break. I never saw it before. Yeah. And I think... Now that's going back. That was screening when we were working together 15, is it, 14 is it? years ago. Okay, yeah, okay. I think so, yeah. Um, I think... Uh, yeah, I think that this is a good example of how I just said about liking being in on something on the ground floor. I think the opposite of that is that if I'm not, then I'll just assume it's a load of shit and not bother, and not <laughs> yeah. bother with it. Yeah. And and so I and and so I never watched it, and um, and Carly, my partner, she um, she watched it in its entirety and liked it and said I, you know, recommended it to me. So we're watching that, and I'm I guess I'm about halfway through the second season of that, and I'm quite enjoying that. Um, I don't I I can honestly say I don't think other than we've watched some Star Wars movies. Because we have we have Disney Plus because of the child in the house and they're all available on that and we watch kind of Pixar stuff that Emmy watches. We're trying to introduce her to films that she's not seen before without going, you know, we're not trying to educate her. We're just trying to get her to watch yeah. some new stuff because she tends to watch the same stuff. Um, that's not always easy. Her attention span still isn't quite there. But you know, just um, I think there's quite a lot of good stuff on there, sort of older. Disney movies that are worth a watch, even the ones that probably don't stack up that great, you know. So uh, why not? Oh, okay, why why don't we watch the original Peach Dragon, just because then you've seen something different and you can see what yeah. an old film looks like, rather than let's watch Mary Poppins for the eighth time in two weeks. Yeah. So yeah. Did you see the new Peach Dragon? I didn't actually, and I didn't because I have such an affection for the old one. Oh right, and it's not that I it's now, not that I won't, but I just haven't. Yeah, you know, the remakes by David Lowry, really interesting director. He did Ain't Them Body Saints, mm-hmm. okay, and A Ghost Story, and The Old Man and the Gun with Robert Redford and Casey Affleck. It was on New Year's Day. I recorded it. I still ain't watched it. Mm. I think I saw the original once. My my yeah. mem- it hasn't left a big footprint with no, me. No, I'll tell you why it has for me. I don't know if it was in the film or if it were in a trailer that was on the VHS before seeing it. But I, yeah. when I think of that film, I think of someone getting a good old-fashioned kick up the arse. <laughs> it's just a good bit of old-fashioned business, kick up the arse, and he went yeah. flying. And, that, and it's funny how something as small as that can really resonate with you, isn't it? And yeah. I just I equate it to that, and I remember oh, roaring my laughter at that, and it just makes me think of that. And so that's good enough for me. It's an all right film. And it might, as I say, it might not even be in the film. I suspect it probably is. You know what? You get a bit of that in bed knobs and broomsticks as well at the Denouement when the uh, armor comes to life yes. and goes after the crowd. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. There's some some good. Uh, that's that's a favourite of mine in terms of that. Um, uh, some of it's quite middling, but that live action period of Disney in the sixties and seventies with Dean Jones in the likes of Ugly Dashing and Love Bar. Yeah. But I like bed knobs and broomsticks. Yeah, and I used to think that Tomlinson was Terry Thomas. I got them two confused. Oh, okay. The, the saying is Terry Thomas if wet. David Tomlinson, yeah, suitable replacement, adequate. Yeah, I yeah, I and I I even though I've just 
sort of decried it as a film we watch too much. Mary Poppins stands up pretty well as well. It does. I think it's. I think it's what you're talking about is the reason though why I I gravitate towards Bedknobs and Broomsticks though because I think it's anima it's melding of animation and live action and its animation sequences are comparable or as good as what's in Mary mm-hmm. Poppins and they play football as well. I mean it's it's a kind of yeah. 60s, 70s Yanks notion of what association football yeah, is, but nevertheless, I like Robin. You know, Robin Hood was a fun one as well. But then I really want to watch. Um, I haven't seen this in about twenty five years. One of our dinosaurs is missing. Is that on the old Disney Plus? Yes. Oh, that might persuade me to give it is... a go. Getting back to old Schreibvogel, the Tiger King, the flamboyance of that working class country ass character is perfect for Danny McBride, Jodie Hill, and David Gordon Green. I heard that the rights to Tiger King were picked up and that Nicolas Cage yeah. was suggested for the lead. And I thought, yeah, maybe, but really, that's got that's a Danny McBride well, project I was... all over. I know it's not the East Coast. No, but... funny, funny enough, uh, further down my list of things I've watched was The Righteous Gemstones. Yeah, we have as well. What did you reckon to it? I enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it. I think it was well cast and was enjoyable. I fear that this is now the third role that I would say is pretty much exactly the same for Danny McBride. He's far from the only one, but obviously you've got you've yeah. got Kenny Powers, and then you've got, and I'm racking my brains, was it uh, Vice Principals that he did with Walt, Walton yeah. Goggins? Yeah. Neil Gandhi. Yeah, yeah. essentially the same role, pretty much, would you say, as Kenny Powers? Certainly as there's, the same as Kenny it, Powers in season one. Yeah, but then I think to Gemstones, there's important distinctions and deviations. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. He's noticeably an older, more responsible-ish character in The Righteous Gemstones. He doesn't have the swagger either, which is amazing to think that uh, a mega preacher doesn't have the same verbosity as Kenny Powers, you know, just yeah. a ball player. How, but how, on, we, how on earth did you lock down that, you know exuberance if you're Danny McBride it was just itching to come yeah. out of you it's good performance <laughs> um yeah. yeah and I but yeah I enjoyed it and I just but I I, I do and, and god don't get me wrong no one likes him as Kenny Powers more than me but I do just want to see him just do something completely different and if it doesn't work mm. great okay we found your wheelhouse we found it 10 years ago let's go back to that but do you know what I mean it'd just be nice to see yeah I mean he was in Tropic Thunder wasn't he similar kind of yeah, role again fantastic in mm-hmm. that yeah, I um we rewatched Eastbound and Down. That's another part of the. Uh, I can't remember if we did that during the lockdown or if it just so happened that we had it on like February March and we're finishing it up. But um, I've got the first season DVD. I've never bought the box set because I've always wanted a specific one. It sold out very quickly about oh. eight nine years ago. Oh, I, I, we'll um, have to see if it's the one I've got because I'm not. I don't have the same emotional attachments as you. So if it is, I'm more than happy for you to, I to have it. That might be useful. Yeah. Then. But what we did was um, on Sky... Is it called Sky Comedy? Well, yeah, yeah, yes, it is, yeah. Yeah, the whole of Eastbound and Down repeated on that. So um, I wanted to see it again. I've seen most of those episodes only yeah. once. Um, and Thorpe now says it's one of her favourite pieces of television of all time. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, what, I'm re-watching it. The, uh, the first two seasons of Eastbound and Down, um, they're astonishing. I think... The evocation of that character, I, I, there's very few shows that have done more with a character and to, to, to kind of explain a character and go into depth yeah. than those, than Eastbound and Down. Uh, and the third falters, and then it comes yeah, back in it the does, fourth. The third yeah. is still funny, but it goes, so, I mean, you'll remember the stuff with Shane and the funeral, it goes so hard yeah. in making you 
despise the protagonist. <laughs> it really is challenging, uh, which is good as well. And then it brings it back. And then um, the fourth season, I think, is probably is almost on par with the first two. But yeah, uh, they did something really special there. Something that um, that television rarely. It's it's like they made a film that was four seasons long. Yeah, is the easiest way to put it because it has the same principles and styles as as an actual motion picture. But most television doesn't. Television isn't a director's medium, and this is one of the problems I have with even something like Game of Thrones, which I really loved. Mm. Yeah, I loved and enjoyed most of the time. It's not about the directors. It's about the performances, the writing, the dialogue. Um, there's many instances where uh, it doesn't look particularly innovative and the like the storytelling through a director medium isn't particularly interesting but eastbound with um much of it was done by david gordon green jody hill as well you know what as well like stevie as a character amazing just yes yeah don johnson was great lily the way that it it, uh, over time somewhat drip feeds the 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 explanation of why kenny is the way yeah i think i've said to you before that i think ashley schaefer is will ferrell's best performance you have, yeah, yeah. So do you, because for me, that's one of its flaws, is that the first Ashley Schaefer performance, sorry, the first Ashley Schaefer episode is in, I enjoyed. Mm. Um, but then when he's, uh, when they go back to his compound with his black mammy maid <laughs> and the odd Stevie performing as a geisha, yeah, that, yeah, um, that's... it's doing something, it's doing something out there, but I did I couldn't go all the no, way with no, it on that. No, no, I would agree. That was a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I you know when a you know a character just chimes with you, and I, I've always yeah. leant towards that sort of um, old-fashioned southern country gent sort of accent as well. To to to, to use yeah. Prison Break, I really like Teabag, but just purely because I like the way he talks. Yeah, I just yeah. I just like you know that if you if you as a starting point, you're you're gonna you're gonna grab me with that. <laughs> And so, yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, I think it's very enjoyable. Eastbound and Down, it lends nobility to being a person getting by because that's one of the things I took from it is that um, if you remember, like, most of the time, Kenny's brother Dustin, Johnny Hawks, yeah. and his family, they're so welcoming of Kenny. They don't expect yeah. anything of yeah. him. And it's, Ken, it's, it's Kenny's own neuroses that make him want to be, you know, the, um, the, the greatest yeah. ball player in the world. Yeah, exactly. Whereas... Most other people are willing to accept him as just, what you presume he once was a, like a, a, a nice Yeah, fellow, just want him to be happy. Yeah. Tear-jerking yeah. and heart-rending. You're not wrong to say that he's done variations of Kenny Powers three times. I think that Gemstones is the furthest he's gone from yeah, him. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Um, but he does it so well. Yeah, it's, yeah. And he's, you know, he's writing this shit yeah. too. And he directed the pilot of Gemstones. And he's, I, I can't remember if he's directed one subsequently, but... He's one of my favourite creatives. I remember when he came on the scene, and I love Ferrell, as you mm-hmm. do, but I, I realised that McBride might be the best improviser I'd ever seen because when he improvises, he doesn't go for what's funniest. He goes for what's funniest within the um, limitations of that character. Yeah, yeah. That's a- uh, which is courageous because it's so, it, it, I won't say it's easy, but when you're a professional comedian, the easier thing to do is to say what's funniest. Very briefly, I have a lot of friends who are Ipswich fans, and you know the sort of 
um, greater success that Ipswich have had than Norwich, I always combat this by saying that, you know, they did win the UEFA Cup. However, we're now at the point where their UEFA Cup win was closer to the end of World War Two than it, it is to today. And so, and so how, where, you know, where do you draw the, draw the line of relevance? It's literally a lifetime yeah. ago. And I, I, you know, just to, just to digress slightly for a minute, I like, I like, that's the way I look at history quite often. That's the way my brain sort mm. of tries to work out how long ago something was. And I got a lot of shit in school for supporting Fulham because I was surrounded by town fans and it was a period where town were better than Fulham. And I only think, I think I only said it once, but I've, my eventual rebuke to some twit was your time's over else has just begun i had no idea how accurate that prophecy would be as uh town proceeded for 17 or 18 seasons to stick to the underside of the championship like a remora fish i, I feel like I, and i know that you don't have any level of antipathy for them because as you said you're from the borders you yeah. know supporters of both sides but i do feel um sympathy for them because if they'd known it was going to go down as it has, they would have begged for the relegation 10 years ago to do what Norwich have done, which is go down, regroup, yeah. come back much stronger. Yeah. And you've been up and down. And I think it's fair to say that Norwich are, are like top 30 sides in the country yeah. most of the time, yeah. you know, because it always irritates me. Like This time's round in Elan even, and it's, I suppose I'd expect it here because there's plenty of Brentford fans, but I'll be running with my Fulham shirt and people say they're shit. And I think... Well, even in our worst seasons, we're still in the 25 best clubs in the country. And this is a country with about 100 professional yeah. sides. Yeah. And, yeah, Norwich is the same. I think Norwich, are, it, it's a very respectable uh, position to occupy, always in the top 20 to 30. Yeah. Yeah, give or take. Yes, that's how it's been in my lifetime, I guess. Yeah. A couple of years, not. But, yeah, generally speaking, absolute. Success is all relative. But I, I think that the, the uh, circumstances we're under will also impress upon people just how unusual and how much pride we can take in having a league system which supports, as I say, I know it's 92 professional league sides, but there are many professional sides in the well, conference. Unfortunately, there, right? Well, I mean, it's 91 league sides now, isn't it? But, yeah. Oh, because of Berry, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I would be interested to see how many professional clubs there are in 12 months' time. Surely, surely they can't. I'm just not even just from a match day point of view, but there will be a lot of smaller clubs whose facilities are also a community resource. You know, their ground will be used for a lot yeah. of things. Um, and so yeah, you know, that's not happening at the moment, is it? So yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I, I think. If you look at it, we're back to football, Fletch, but if you look at it in an unromantic way, 90, 92, 91 professional clubs isn't really sustainable, is it? They don't do it in any of the other countries in Europe. No, but it has been. For the entire 20th yeah. century, it was largely sustainable. I know that what we lost Maidstone and Aldershot in the 90s. Yeah. Broadly speaking, 90 to 100 clubs, uh, uh, professional or... Yeah. Yeah, at professional level was just about sustainable. And I mean, the more I think about it, um, uh, I've got to be careful to, to focus my arguments here, but I think it's poorly understood by... It's poorly understood by the middle classes and by and that means the establishment as well, establishment newspapers and, and television. Uh, just what it... The, the criticality of having a local football mm. club, of having 
a rugby league club as well. These are in many ways just as important as having a colliery band. If yeah. you've seen Brassed Off, I know that was on again a few months ago, and I watched it again. And uh, it it as a um, as a Londoner that's spent much of my adolescence in the East, it's mad to think that there's what Norwich Town, Colchester, maybe Peterborough's close. Whereas in the Northwest, there's literally fifteen clubs that you could throw a yeah. net over. And you think, how, how, how on earth can you sustain all these? But they have. Those clubs have sustained. What, they're attached to would, mining towns. They're attached to textiles towns. Yeah, what I would say as a slight counter to that is for that 20th century, for the vast majority of that time, there was not wall-to-wall football on TV allowing children to choose another club straight away. I know yeah. slightly no, different right. in the Northwest because if you wanted to support Manchester United, you still could and justify it. But... You know, when you know when I was a child, it was Norwich or Ipswich, or Liverpool, possibly Everton or Man United, and that was it. I guess really. Now it, yeah. it you know you it can add Manchester City to that or Tottenham to that. You know, um, I think it's it's just as easy to to support any club you want because you, you the fact is is that if I'm if I'm raising children and I can't afford to take them to Norwich every week. They will see more Man City games than they will Norwich games. So why wouldn't they choose them mm. to support? So I think that's yeah. that. That would be my counter to your to your point. But I mean, I hope I'm wrong because I like the fact that we've got this big, you know, non-regional. I think that's the way to go, isn't it? Make the bottom two divisions regional. I don't understand why it's not been done. It makes no sense to me. Gosh, that's practical of you. I've uh, a surfeit of romance, which would prevent me from. Yeah. Making that analysis, but you are right. So, yeah, and that's how it, uh, it rolls like that in Germany. Uh, Germ- it? Yeah, from Division Three or from the third tier down, it's regional. Yeah, um, I yeah. just think you could have a situation where you've got you know Exeter City or Torquay having to travel up to Carlisle on a weeknight. Yeah, is that not mental for clubs that struggle? It is, it, I, and it's funny because I, I try to um, I try to approach things with a fresh perspective but that's a good example of something that I've never questioned yeah I've never really questioned the sense in uh what would it be 600 mile road trips like your fucking Dominic Cummings yeah. <laughs> um it's uh yeah a greater level of uh a greater level of regionality would make sense in a mm-hmm. lot of ways um, I mean it would also help with a way um with a way support yeah. You'd be, somewhat you'd be more that. likely to get it. So for your home games, if the opposition of the opponents furthest from you geographically are half the distance, you're more likely to get more of their fans come, aren't you? Mm. You know, I know you're always gonna get this hardcore of fans who'll go to the away game, it doesn't matter where it is, when it is. However, you are more likely to get a better away crowd if they've got less distance to travel. I don't think there's a lot of science involved in that. Hmm. And frankly, uh, I worry about the people that would commit themselves to that um, uh, that kind of away travel. I don't I, think it lends itself to having much of a life outside of that. Yeah, thank you for saying it. I was trying to find a way to be somewhat more delicate <laughs> in stating it. But um, I read a terrific book that was lent to me by a geezer from work, and it's uh, A Season with Verona. It's a book about an Englishman who's lived in Italy for a very long time, and at the turn of the century, that is, the turn of the 21st century, he commits to travelling to every away match that Hellas Verona play. Uh, And the characters he meets 
in, and their their character and their disposition is uh, like entirely consistent with with what you're explaining. They're yeah, they're rogues and rascals <laughs> and uh, unusual folks um, to to do that to because I think the first match he goes to is in Bari, the yeah. south of Italy, and they're up in the north. Uh, they're travelling literally the, the length of the nation in a coach. Um, to me, that's not that's not commitment to a football club. That's something else. Yeah, that's that's you escapism <laughs> from yeah. something. My commitment is like eighteen to twenty five matches a season. I'll go to an occasional away match. I always go to the Norwich match. I wouldn't mind seeing Fulham play Town as long yeah. as <laughs> as long as Town are in the Premier League yeah. when they do it. I remember my friend Adam, our friend Adam, and I went to Wigan. An away game, which is Ooh, quite a right. trek from Norwich, as you know. Get getting out of mm. East Anglia, the North End, is just a nightmare anyway. But um, so yeah, we went we and we went on a supporters coach purely because it was free, and we sort of looked at the trains and it was not straightforward. It's you know three changes, whatever. So we said, well, well let's just do it. You know, we'll, it'll be a laugh. We'll be together. We'll have fun. And so we did, and we lost one nil, and it's such a shit game. I mean, just like how do how do people do this all the time? We were just pissed yeah. off. Yeah. We were like walking away from the ground. <laughs> we're not going to be home for seven eight hours. You know, yeah. I just what are we doing? And I just don't understand why somebody forget the financial side of it. You've either got the money to do it or you haven't, I guess. But yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I I, would, I I don't go to any Norwich games at the moment because I'm running a t- team on Sundays. So. If I were to commit Saturdays as well, I wouldn't see Carly or Emmy at the weekends, probably. So it's just one mm. or the other, and that's fair enough for me. You know, that's fine. Um, but yeah, that I just I've, I have been to. I think I've only been to one Norwich game, maybe in two seasons, and that was just before the lockdown when we beat Tottenham in the FA Cup at Tottenham. Um, so that itself was an away yeah, match. That, I haven't been to their mm, new stadium. Good. Yeah, it's good. It's quite literally the best in Europe, isn't it? Yeah. Partly because it's the yeah, it's it's incredibly impressive. There's no two ways about it. It's incredibly impressive. Um, and while I yearn for the old grounds to circle back, I guess like Brentford, it's better to watch at a better stadium. Generally speaking, as an away fan, so I'm not you know, it's different if it's different. Carrow Road's not a particularly great stadium, and I but I don't mind that because it's our stadium. But if I'm going away, I'd rather go away and be comfortable and, you know, not get soaked. And Yeah, and I have a huge addendum to what I just said. Um, there was a season where I went to plenty of away matches and it's the Europa League season and that's how I like to do away matches is go to a place and stay over for two or three nights if yeah. possible. It's what I've done when we, usually when we play uh, Norwich, mm-hmm. I see you and Adam and I try and hit up Little Boy as well and I'll stay for a night or two. And when I when I've been to Reading away matches, um, I'll see my homeboy Kieran Pearson, and we'll, I won't stay over, but we'll at least get uh, make something more of it than just the yeah. football. So get a pint beforehand and get a burger afterwards, or vice versa. Um, and if I was, like I when Blackpool came up, I had that inclination. I thought, oh, it wouldn't be too bad actually to have. That's an that's attractive. Yeah. A weekend in Blackpool. One of my worst experiences as a match going fan, and bearing in mind that there's rarely any aggro at Fulham once. Um, we won the lower divisions, Cardiff had a go at us, and uh, in the second tier, about 20 years ago, Rangers were rampaging through the streets outside the cottage, but there's really never any significant aggro. So my story is all about, essentially about uh, logistical inconvenience and a disarray. Um, about 2002, we got to the FA Cup semi-final, and we had to go because it was the first time 
I'd had an FA Cup semi-final. My dad had been to the 75 one. We got to the final that year. Uh, it was Fulham-Chelsea, scheduled for a Sunday night, 7 o'clock, and it required us all to go up to Birmingham. So West London decamped however many miles to the Midlands to play at Villa Park. We lost 1-0, fucking John Terry scored. Then we're outside um, waiting on a train laid on by Mohamed Al-Fayed. But that took 90 minutes of standing around. The train itself crawled back to the capital because of speed restrictions on a Sunday because there's always maintenance work undertaken. We got back to a hotel, which we imagined we might reach for a nightcap. Maybe we got there at two. We were up at nine, didn't even get time for breakfast. Utterly witless scheduling. Dismal. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, there was nothing to recommend no. it at and all. And you could have you could have you could have watched it at home. <laughs> I, I'm not even sure if it was worth saying that I did it the once. Because it was it's the only FA Cup semi that we've had in my yeah. lifetime. Well, you've given me food for thought about the sustainability of the league structure. Yeah. It's it's wrong for me to say it worries me because it doesn't worry me because Norwich aren't at risk. Oh, but <laughs> yeah. what I remember I remember thinking when Berry went out of business this season. I just remember thinking it's just such a weird thing for a club to be gone. And you not... Because I've often wondered what I'd do if Norwich went out of business. I wouldn't start supporting Ipswich. I don't think I'd really bother sort of... I don't think I'd pick a new team. I just wouldn't bother. I'd I'd still watch football and I'd still enjoy it. You know, probably enjoy it as much. But I wouldn't pick another team. And I just think just how, just how weird it is. And... Yeah, I just I think it'll happen a lot moving forward. I really do. There must be a lot of the thing is I think it's easy to imagine that footballers are all paid thousands of pounds a week, and the reality isn't that then is that they're not all paid thousands of pounds. The majority of them aren't, and so mm. they must be struggling like hell at the moment, you know. And a lot of the footballers are not ready to have to, you know, they're not prepared in the right way to take on other work because if you're a footballer, the chances are. But since you've been about 12, that's all you've been geared to do. Yeah, additionally, they can hardly uh, volunteer lifting crates off pallets, drop a jam jar on their foot, and they're out for six months. You know, they've got to keep themselves primed and ready to play football whenever it Mm. comes back. Um, I I worked with a fellow who had that exact dilemma, not the the jam jar, but he was a Wimbledon fan. And he wasn't going to support MK Dons, so he chose Everton. And I think... I've never asked him about the reasoning behind it, but I presume that he knew he couldn't in good conscience choose a top side. But at the same time, it made no sense to go for someone who was always going to be struggling. And Everton, they've never been relegated and they're adequate. I mean, they occasionally flirt with the bottom five or six, but generally speaking, they'll come between eighth and twelfth. And so... His his fandom for them is as strong as it was for Wimbledon, but it's um it yeah it led me to consider myself, and I thought yeah I, there's no way I I wouldn't bother. I mean if Fulham somehow went out of business and then came back as a as a non-league side, there might be a point that I accessed it, but I think that'd be I think that'd be mm. it for me. I think I'd leave football behind, and you know I've given it thirty years. It's not I mean it's not going to happen, and I'm going to keep going. I mean I, I've um. I have a strong connection to just simply my wooden seat that I sit in now, even though I haven't always been in that seat. Well, you remember the days when Fulham got four, five, six thousand. You didn't need a season ticket and yeah. we were standing as well. And we moved to those seats, I don't know, but we came back from Loftus Road. So maybe that's more like 15, 16 years ago. So I've been sat there a long time, but there are grooves in that wooden seat, which is probably 80 mm. years old. 
that I've made myself from um, a rivet on my jeans that had turned in on itself. I know I made that. And I've always said to my old man, this is my seat now, no matter what happens. And that's your seat. And we can always scrape together the extra money yeah. to buy a season ticket for the bloke who doesn't want to come this season. We've got to do that. Um, what was the other thing you were saying? Oh, yeah, about footballers, about football and footballers, yeah. Uh, Any time the government... Now, I know in this instance, uh, the government minister, I believe it was Matt Hancock, he was asked about football. So it's only reasonable that he gives some kind of response. But any time the government starts talking about football, you should understand it, you should interpret it as their attempt to distract and draw attention away from something, a a more legitimate question or a, a, a more legitimate target. And in this instance, it was uh, it's so so drab to me, um, so drab to see footballers picked on because they earn a lot of money, and they're picked on by journalists and particularly middle class journalists because middle class journalists don't know any footballers, don't watch football, have never interacted with football, don't go to the football, and some of them will argue it's because they're a woman and football's sexist, and some of them will argue that it's because they're Indian and football's racist. Uh, neither of those things are profoundly, meaningfully true at this stage. It's my opinion. It's why someone like Marina Hyde is to be so cherished. She's uh, among the most adept, penetrating journalists working today. And not only can she talk about politics, she can talk about football with the same dexterity. I bloody love her. Um, but uh, newspapers, not that they, not that anybody should go after anybody necessarily but newspapers newspapers never pick on daniel craig for earning 20 million per bond they don't go after benedict cumberbatch and it's the same kind of structure wherein there's about 100 actors 100 british actors we could name that are earning big bucks and are set for life and then there's another i don't know how many 10,000 that probably struggle to earn more than you and i and certainly there's an insecurity to their work that we don't usually have to face and it's the same with footballers. I mean, like you were saying, the Premier League does pay. Outside of that, there's an awful lot more young footballers, and these are predominantly young working-class men. And another thing that's often forgotten by um, outsiders to football, these they're young working-class men, but those from outside of Britain and outside of Europe, they aren't working-class. They're even less than that. If you think about the Africans that make n- not just a living, but make through monetizing their skill at football enough to support villages and towns the astonishing contributions that SEN Wea and Drogba have been able to make to like their grandparents communities their parents communities helping their uncles and their aunts uh, but because there's a perception among the journalists among typical non-sports journalists that football is about white racist recalcitrant um bigoted working class males they forget about everything else and they think it's a worthy target and it just ain't so any time any time um a politician starts bleating about footballers earnings in comparison to nurses uh booting the bollocks for the lot of them blind mute you know we've chatted away for an awful long time now and i wonder if we might wrap it up is there do you have any closing remarks do you think you've had COVID-19? It's not a remark, it's a question, isn't it? I was very ill in February off the back of a Strokes concert. 
I was relatively fortunate enough to be in a position to buy it very short notice, you know, wake up at 9am and click onto the website and do the whole thing when they release the tickets uh, and they sell out in half an hour. I was in a position to do that with the Strokes when they played the Roundhouse. Um, I did the pre-sale on the album and bought it in CD, vinyl, cassette, tape. I'll uh, disseminate those among my family members and loved ones. We went to the gig, um, and it was a good example of you have to be there, but that's all that you can do. It wasn't the best time I've seen them. I've seen them play better with better set lists, but being so close to them um, and the uh, fidelity of sound and their general enthusiasm, because I think they've somewhat reinvigorated having recorded a new album. Uh, It was great to be there. And that was on a Wednesday night in February. And I know that Thursday I thought something's happening. And Friday we were meant to go to the cinema. We were going to see The Lighthouse, which was Robert Pattinson and um, Willem Dafoe, the new one by the director of The Witch. We were going to head into town to do that. We were eating dinner about half five at uh, Saigon, my local Vietnamese restaurant. And I said... I just, I'm fatigued. I don't have the energy to go into town and then do what we want to do tomorrow. We were going to head into the uh, East Midlands to see Thorpe's friends. Uh, and I'll be, then I was, from Saturday onwards, I, I made it on this trip, but I was laid low for, with a bad cold for 10 days at least. And I didn't recover for three mm-hmm. weeks, possibly even four. So I still had, like, I was still sniffing and coughing stuff up for three weeks. But those uh, symptoms aren't consistent with the COVID-19. So maybe I just got a really bad cold from sweaty buggers at the Strokes Mosh Pit. I wonder if, just in general, people had it last year. November, December, people had it, but it wasn't diagnosed as that because it it wasn't a thing then. I I just Hmm. just wonder. I just made, you know, it it was a question, you know, of out of nothing, really. I just, I wonder if people have had it and... And sort of didn't realise it, like you, they were just ill for a few days and just sort of thought, God, that's, you know, that's not very good, that's unusual, but didn't have something like COVID-19 to pin it to. When I go about the place, I'm wearing a bandana, when I'm in shops and when I'm walking about, um, partly it looks cool, I feel like a bandito, and also it's a reasonable measure to protect myself and others. Do you Um, um, deliberately put on a voice like Bane? There's been more than a few occasions where I've thought to myself, his line is like, nobody paid attention until I put on the mask. Have you got Bane (laughs) in your locker, do you think? Oh, gosh. Hold on, I've got an empty glass here. (laughs) You think darkness is your ally, but you merely adopt the dark. I was born to it, moulded by it. There you go, that's a bit of Bane. I'm not not sure how far it works. uh, It's it's a small bit of Bane. No, it was a... Does it... it... does it come across on the telephone? If I'd have answered the phone to you and you'd have done that, I wouldn't have thought, oh, Bane's got Fletcher's phone. <laughs> he, um, he's one of my favourite hams. Yeah, Hardy. he's one of my least favourite. I, I like voices, and that's <laughs> yeah. one of the reasons why I like yeah. him. I, 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 fully, I fully respect that what he is, he's a bit of a posh boy, having a play at being a yeah. tough man. Tupac was the same. Tupac's not quite the gangster rapper that he pretended to be, but he did a film role. I can't remember. It might have been... Poetic Justice, it might have been Juice. He took a role and it's like he kept playing that his entire life. And Hardy did that with Bronson. He bulked up for that. And it's as though he thought, oh, I like a bit of mm. this. I might do this more often. Um, and But I really enjoy his voices. I love a good voice performance. I think he they're easy to imitate, so I enjoy them even more. I do them around the house. <laughs> I, do, um, I do his craze. I do <laughs> Bane when yeah. I can. The, the other ones that's good is that, Pouts! 
The other pounce from uh, yeah. Revenant. That's a fun one. Oh, do we got to you, boy? But you, you're not having uh, it. Yeah, it's just not for me. You know, there's, there's. Um, I yeah, think so... it's important that in in life in general, this might be me summing up here. So strap strap yourself. Yeah. In. When you're as irritable and impatient as I can be, I wouldn't define myself as those things, <laughs> but I certainly can be those things. I think it's a very important step to take in life to realise there is not a finite amount of praise or enjoyment. So you don't have to like everything because there's plenty of people who will. And you don't know, you know, as an, yeah. if I were a, uh, a writer, let's say I was a writer, it wouldn't, it doesn't matter if everybody likes your book because even if everybody does like your book, that's not that's not everybody in the world, is it? Because there's plenty of people who haven't read it. So you're never going to reach universal <laughs> yeah. praise. So I think once you get your head around the fact that somebody else can be doing something and be praised for it, and that doesn't mean there's no praise left for you, does it? And yeah. I think just in general, because, <laughs> you know, I would class myself as someone who likes to be, I don't like to be the centre of attention, but if I'm in a room, I like to try and fill it with fun. And if some if someone else yeah. is in that room and they're doing bits and they're getting a good reaction from it, there was a time when I'd feel like I'd need to step up and almost like a sort of rap battle of gags. <laughs> yeah. Now I realise, yeah. no, you don't need to do that because there's, you know, this doesn't detract from you at all. You know, I think that's quite an important thing in life. So I don't steer clear of things because I don't think that I'll enjoy them. I will watch them in order to be proved correct that I didn't enjoy it. And it's in, in terms of a film, it's a couple of hours out of your life, isn't it? Carly and I will often watch something on Netflix and we'll both watch it and we'll get to the end and we'll go, we'll sort of look at each other and say, well, that was fucking shit, wasn't it? And it's just that neither <laughs> of us had pulled the trigger on it any earlier. You know, we do we'll, we do that yeah. fairly regular. I think you can with Netflix. There's a lot of stuff to trawl through, isn't there? And um, so, yeah, yeah, so quite often we'll watch someone go, oh, God, why, why, I didn't really enjoy that. And she'll say, no, well, I didn't really enjoy it either, but I thought you were into it. And so, um, yeah, I, I think I think that's definitely a way I've improved. in since we were friends on a face-to-face regular basis when we worked together, I think that's the big difference in me between now and that, which is... 14 years ago as i said to you earlier when i was younger i would not watch something because i assumed it was gonna be shit and so i won't watch it and i've yeah. no doubt missed out on a lot breaking bad is something that i've never watched and i started watching one season and i just couldn't get into it and i think that that ship had sailed i'd missed it do you know what i mean and so and so yeah. i probably won't give it my full attention now because i there's other things i can be watching so i probably won't you know, I, I probably need to break my leg or something where I'm in a position where I just have to be in bed all day. Other, aside yeah, from that, yeah. I won't, I won't watch it. And, and so I think that's a good example of something that most people have watched and say it's brilliant, and I haven't watched. And ten years ago, I'd have said, "Oh no, I'm not watching that. It's a load of shit." Whereas now, I just say, "I haven't seen it, so I don't know if it's good or not." Yeah, you know. yeah. We must do this again, and uh, I don't know how soon. Yeah, I've enjoyed. I enjoy speaking to you for five minutes. So of course, it's a real treat to speak to you for a couple <laughs> yeah. of hours. Thank you very much for joining us, Tim Anderson. Everybody. As you've heard, 
Premier League and Championship football will be returning in a couple of weeks and so I should reckon I'll bring Tim Anderson back for a chat about that and about whatever cinematic efforts we've enjoyed in the interim. Whether it's the Evening Glass or the Electronic Labyrinth, you'll find the One Sensational Shop Network on iTunes, Spotify and Stitcher and on our own website, onesensationalshop.com. We're on Instagram and Facebook and if you'd like to support the podcast, instead of a Patreon, we sell our stuff on eBay at One Sensational Shop where you'll find laser discs, cassettes, videotapes, computer games, posters, records and collected ephemera from three decades of movies and music. And while you're on eBay, stop by the Attic Bug. Anything we don't have, they almost definitely do. Thanks for tuning in, and this month's special thanks go to long-time listener Ben Morris, whose laser disc purchases have been leading by example on the funding front. Commensurate with his contributions, Luke and I would like to wrap our critical faculties around a film of his choice for a future issue, so, Ben... Get in touch and we'll get watching. Until then, cheerio.